he was, I think he was a psychiatrist, yeah. German psychiatrist, when in the 50s and something, the 60s? Senator with Freud. He was, a, was he with he was, him? Yeah, same time as Freud. Well, I think he read, wrote a lot of books, but the one book I read when I was young was The Murder of Christ. Yeah? That's not the murder of Jesus, but the murder of Christ. Christ means like consciousness, Christ consciousness. Jesus is like the action figure representative. Yeah, but the Christ consciousness is different. That would be the same thing as Buddha consciousness, you know, like that. So in this book, he talks about us, and he calls uh, what we suffer from the emotional plague of man. And the emotional plague of man, if I can remember, I may just paraphrase it, it's sort of like there's something that's very off in us, yeah? We know it, but we're in a huge denial about it, yeah? But that just doesn't sit well with us. So what happens is we're sort of in this uh, trap, yeah? And yet uh, we act as if there's no way out, but there is a way out, but we don't want to find it. So the big admittance of the truth is you really don't want to be free, in a sense. Yeah? So that just can't sit well with the minds. So what they do in this trap is they build things like institutional religion, and things like that, to point outside of the trap, but they have no intention of taking one outside of the trap. They're just, they're there to make you feel a little better inside the trap. They're not going to take you outside of the trap. <laughs> yeah? And everyone is very clear about that, so it's safe, in a way. They're not going to go and be confronted with that, let's say, that I am ball in the gut. Okay? So now he uses the example of Jesus of Nazareth. So then he says... And, you know, this isn't like an eyewitness account. He just uses it as to present an idea. So, okay, Jesus shows up, and he's pretty bright, and he's healing people, and he seems to be very attractive to a lot of people. They're like, wow, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're all clapping, yeah, yeah, Jesus is great. But after a few years of Jesus' presence, it's starting to irritate them because he's sort of saying there's a, there's a space outside of the trap, and why don't you, and come on. You know, and at first they thought that was really like, oh, that's so refreshing and everything. But then it was seen to really be what it was for them—a threat. Yeah. So the same people that were sort of clapping for him and everything else like that, three years later were begging for his crucifixion. Yeah, because they didn't want that example anymore because it irritated them nestling into the trap. Now, they like things in the trap that point outside but have no intention of taking them out. But they don't like when someone is, example, is, is an example of being outside the trap. Because then the guilt, the true guilt, that's, that's the gravity of that ball in their gut, gets irritated. Yes? So that fucking person or that thing's got to go. So he describes it as what is happening to kids every day through the educational system, yeah? So every, a, a little kid, a little baby, is, is an obvious example of that Christ consciousness. Yeah. There, there's an awakeness, and there's no sense of Paul, there's no sense of guilt that hasn't arisen yet, yeah? And there's a freedom. And so when you walk in a room and there's a baby, most people are drawn just to look at the baby. Even if someone just spent $30,000 with plastic surgery and Prada glasses and stuff like that, if they walked in, the attention would still probably go to the baby, yeah? Because that's what's really attractive. 
But if that baby didn't grow up and become conditioned and become a part of our little herd, we'd probably want to kill that baby if it's kept demonstrating that aware, conscious presence. Because it would be really irritating to us because it would be displaying there ain't no trap. There's no need to have institutions that point outside the trap. There ain't no trap. Yeah? The freedom that man is looking for is right where man is. And that's the last place that he wants to or she wants to admit. Yeah? So it will, like they say in Zen, if you see the Buddha, shoot him. <laughs> so why is that? It's because you and I are throwing, let's just use the terminology, our Christ consciousness onto an individual and making them super special. Yeah? In a very convenient way, we're off the hook of ever being that, because how could I be a Buddha? Yeah? We can't deny the consciousness, but we can make it into something that causes us to have no access to it. Yeah? Oh, I can never do that. He sat for 40 years meditating and went to 40 days in the desert. I can't even, you know, I spent three days at Palm Springs and I'm bored, you know? 40 <laughs> days in the desert without fucking a pool? No way. There's no way I'm going to do it. So the educational system is a way that Christ consciousness is seemingly put out, yeah? The imagination is frowned upon, linear thinking is, is accentuated, and so on and so forth. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it goes on and on and on and on and on, where the society at large, its main drive in a way, is to deaden that example of freedom. So that freedom can become a commodity, can become something that you can aspire to, but you can't really arrive there, but you can buy clothes that make you look like you're free, yeah? Just like in surfing. Surfing is a lovely little lifestyle, and then the businesses have surrounded it, and now it's very expensive to quote-unquote look like a surfer, in some respects. I mean, cheap t-shirts are 55 bucks, you know what I mean? But it says Quicksilver or whatever. <laughs> well, when I heard this, when I read this little first chapter, it really blew my mind, because um, I've never really looked at this problem through the lens of the great wisdom of no escape is to realize there's nothing to escape from. I mean, literally. Not saying it in a cornucopia or a little la-di-da way. What, a cornucopia? What does that have to do with it? A la-di-da way. But really getting that there is... That I need do nothing. Yeah? I need do nothing, ultimately. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really cool because my feeling, one of the last things I, can, I my mind can ever let out of its little uh, security cell is I don't want to really be free. Yeah. Like I really don't want to be free as what I'm not. Yeah. And it's much better if I can actually tell the truth about that because that guilt about that only bonds you to the idea of who's the one that doesn't want to be free, yeah? It's totally okay not to want to be free. That, in a sense, is enlightenment. To be free from the need to be liberated is a really relaxed state, yeah? But when it's like, I should want to be free, and you don't want to be free, that's an unbearable guilt, 
that will eat you up. Just like what happened with me with the Lord of the Universe, the teacher I met, and I realized I didn't like the Lord of the Universe. That made me, God, unbelievable bad things. I mean, how could I not like the Lord of the Universe? I must be really fucking bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> you see, we're so busy trying to get out of something that we're not in. That it has us by us moving away from it all day. Just like it's in, in the predator-prey uh, visual, this predator of this parasite, this selfing, has us by us running from it. When we run from it, we give it all the power it has. Yeah? That's one of the biggest things that happened for me in recovery, is my whole strategy... I was overwhelmed young, you know, from my uh, grandmother and father dying when I was nine, because I really loved them like only a kid could, you know. And I had no idea that something that I loved could end in one second and never show back up. You know, just, uh, just over, I, my processor couldn't process it, yeah. So it started to really shut down there, and its strategy in shutting down was I can't let another feeling ever come in, yeah? I need to have a feeling in place to beat the other feelings that could come from life on life's terms away. Because these feelings I'm having just are overwhelming the fuck out of me. So I was driven to get, to make everything that seemed as real as real could be unreal. That's what I was trying to do. Just like every night I shot drugs, I was trying to make the self unreal, yeah? I was trying to get out of myself all freaking day. But I didn't realize that by me trying to make it unreal, I made it as real as it could be. It was when I finally accepted all these things, or at least let them land, all these things I was constantly shooing away, don't land here, don't land here, don't land here, don't, and they'd have a persistence. And I said, okay, land. And when I did, and I let these, these, all these ideas, yeah, let's say, that I'm not enough, that I'm very evil, whatever it may be, let them land and let them be as real as they want to be, they showed me their real nature, which is their unreal. But as long as I was, as I was busy making them unreal, they were as real as real could be. Don't you see your role in that? I'm trying to get out of something, it makes it like there's a place to be in. If there's a cease of trying to get out, I see that I was never in it. Now who's given it the meaning that it's real and solid, and then suddenly that it ain't? Who's the biggest player in the event of escaping from a prison? The prison? No. The judge that sent you there? No. Yeah, sort of the inmate. If I'm busily trying to get out, I'm really actually verifying that I'm in it. If I could just see that, maybe the mind would shift and stop trying to leave and stop or pause and see what happens. When all of this stuff that is driving me constantly to escape would catch up, finally let it catch up, seriously. Instead of right behind you, alright, stop, see what happens. It doesn't pounce. You're giving it all the energy it has. 
by trying to get away from it. (laughs) I've had so much stuff that in my conditional mind is a severe no-no to even entertain the possibility of me being that. I've had so much of that shit arise and see it, like, oh, that's the worst, that's worse than I ever even thought. Yeah? And let it just be what it is, and then it can only truly take on its real appearance, which it's an appearance. The huffing and puffing is what's making it. That's not making what you're feeling. This is making it. Like it says so clearly in the Course of Miracles. You and I are the dreamer of the dream. Alright? We'll go over this slowly. You and I are the dreamer of this dream. In a sense, you could call this a dream. Yeah, Just because it seem, we, we seem to be awake, we can easily say at night, that's a dream. Yeah, But who's to say that what this is isn't just an awake dream? Yeah? In an awake dream, we could make a difference in the, the asleep dream. But they're both dreams. Yeah, So you and I are the dreamer of this dream. We have forgotten that we're dreaming it, yeah? So we're not privy to that knowledge that we're the dreamer. So we must be taking ourselves to be something else. Let's just say it's the dreamt object, yeah? Not represented by the body, but really lived in or inhabited by the me, which is a mental process, a mental idea. It's not the body. Even when you talk about the body, you say it's your body. Who is the owner of the body? In our language, we don't say, I'm the body. It's usually my body. Who is, what is being inferred by that my? Who is the owner that can have a body? So, when we're taking ourselves to be that... We're ignorant that we're the dreamer. We're more the dreamt. In that state, we give everything that we have actually dreamt all the power to affect us. So, you have to see it. It's the dreaming occurring. We forget that we're the dreamer. We now become, or take ourselves to be the dreamt object, and everything we dreamt now can fuck with us. With our own juice, in a sense. Yeah? You're giving it all the meaning it has. You can see it's such an obvious example. Let's say something's bothering you on Monday, yeah? And maybe you don't realize that you're in bad condition. And you may have no idea that that had something to do, why it seems such a problem, yeah? But let's say Tuesday you have a really good condition. You're feeling pretty loose. And now that same, same situation hasn't changed one bit, isn't a problem anymore. Yeah? Now, and this happened really quickly, and then Wednesday, you feel shitty again, and you, you revisit that thing, and it's a problem again. What is it? Is it a problem, or isn't it a problem? Or is, it, is, is its reality based on who it's real to? Does it have a reality? If it has a reality, how can it be not a problem, and then a problem, and then not a problem again? Yeah? Or is it reality is based on who is having the problem? Yeah? The who may be what's giving that thing the meaning that it's a problem one day, 
and when there's a little looseness in, around the me, then that same same thing is vi- as viewed as not a problem. You don't see the power that we participate in, that you and I are given everything, all the meaning it has. And that when really, when push comes to shove, are we ever experiencing a solid, authentic, real thing, or are we experiencing the meaning the mind has given it? In other words, maybe there are things, yes, but what we're seeing them as is not coming from the thing, but is coming from the dreamer. So the dreamer is giving what's dreamt all the meaning it has. And maybe we're perceiving it as if it's real, but it's actually a projection. I would find that to be incredibly helpful so that I, first of all, that drive to blame others would drop precipitously because you realize they don't have truly anything to do with it other than the meaning I give them, in a way. <laughs> so one day someone's an enemy, the next day they're a friend. Is it, did they change? You may say that, but it's basically where you're seeing it from is what's dictating the meaning that they're given. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you've had a long period of responding or reacting to a certain thematic system of meaning. In other words, we all seem to share the same possibilities, like I will be okay somehow if I do this and get that. Yes, many of us have that idea. Many of us believe in time, yeah? And that our minds tend to value past and future more than anything else. They don't value now. We share these basic possibilities because we're truly not individuals. There's a system of thought and interpretation that's called self-centeredness that's the dominant meaning giver in all of us, yeah? We've had certain environmental conditioning different and sort of, let's say, DNA conditioning differently, but the basic format is the same most for all of us, yeah? Like if you go to the East, they have a different mind than we do. But in the West, we have a peculiar self-centeredness that gives a certain amount, certain, uh, let's say, spectrum of meaning, and we've seen all of it. (laughs) (laughs) And if we could disengage our mind from taking it to be our fault as much as we do, and maybe just question the system, you'd see that it's a failed system. And maybe you would be let off the hook of your own fucking guilt, because if any life run on self-will is not going to be successful. You're not a peculiar event. Even if you think everyone's doing great, you're judging their outsides with your insides. Yeah? Their mechanism, they can be, you drop an alcoholic or someone in self-centeredness into heaven, it's hell in a week or in a day. For alcohol to be a day. Maybe someone who's not alcoholic would take like a week, but it would be hell again. Yeah? Because the same system of thought is giving everything the meaning it has. Yeah? Okay, so you listen to the system, the description of the system. What's it called? Self-centeredness. So self plays an incredible role in this system that's distributing meaning to everything. Yeah? While we're walking around, it's not you that's giving meaning to everything. This feeling of you is a meaning that's already been given. Yeah? This is one of many meanings that's been given, but this, this meaning has a precedent. 
it feels like it precedes all the other meanings. But this isn't this isn't the first line at all. This has been given a meaning just like everything else has been given a meaning, because mind is like prior. Yeah? Prior to this idea of being Paul. The idea of being Paul is already like part and parcel of the dream. Yeah? The dreaming is out. Yeah? We have no fucking idea. We can't, for as the dreamt object, we can't cross that invisible barrier between context and content. Yeah? As this, we're always going to be appearing in this dream. Yeah? No matter how much you study about not to be afraid of a dreamt tiger, not to be afraid, you can have eight million affirmations. If that dreamt tiger walks by you in a dream, you're going to have an incredible fearful reaction. Yeah? I mean, and then you'll think, well, I just have to do 12 million affirmations. This is the failed system of self-centeredness, yeah? So why not look at the center? Are you that? Are you that? If you are, and it's proclaiming itself to be the doer and the haver, and it claims itself to be the thinker, stop thinking control something that you're doing. If you're doing the thinking, stop. It's easy to say when I'm doing the running and someone goes, stop, you can stop. Why is it that you can't stop that? Yeah? You're in the same position as being the doer. Yeah? It seems to give you somewhat some control. Yes? If you're the doer, if you're driving, you have some control. Yeah? If there's an accident, you'll feel guilty for the one who did it. Yeah? But here, in thought, you can't change the thoughts much, can you? Because what's playing the thinker is a thought. Yeah. It's a thought of the thought system. It's a thought that's very never revealed by the thought system. You can't think yourself to that first thought. Yeah. But it is one of many, many thoughts. It's one that's been entertained quite a lot. It's been entertained that it doesn't even have to be actively entertained. It produces a vague feeling that when something happens, it's me it's happening to. Yeah? When there's a doing, there's a doer. When there's a haver, there's a, there's a, when there's having, there's a haver. When there's thinking, there's a thinker. When there's feeling, there must be a feeler. Yeah? Hearing, hearer. Tasting, taster. Yeah? And where does the emphasis go? To the tasting or to the taster? The taster. Yes? Because that taster has tasted many things. He has thought many, many things. <laughs> I would say what we are is a remembrance. Seriously. I think every time there's doing, we remember there's a doer. Every time there's seeing, we remember there's a seer. Every time there's hearing, so the conscious contact that's going to be happening if you're alive, yes? Every aspect of that, every seeing, every hearing, every feeling, every tasting, every touching, is we remember there's a seer, the feeler, the taster, the toucher, and the hearer. Yeah? It's remembered. It's remembered. It's like a tag that's been put on a product that's not ours. It's not ours to own. It's not ours to claim. It's not ours to sell. 
It's not ours to promote. Consciousness is in contact. Witness the glory of that. Even the sound I was talking about before, the, the, the music of the celestial spheres, the hum, whatever, that sound, which seems to precede all other sounds I hear, like I'm hearing this, but I hear that prior to it in a way. If I hear music, that's underneath it. This seems to be underneath every other sound, but this sound is being seen. Yeah? Something is hearing it, which is a form of seeing. Some, I would say not something, but nothing is hearing it. Yeah? And nothing that can be heard, that can be felt, that can be sensed, that can be smelled, that can be tasted, can ever perceive what's seeing it, what's hearing it, what's feeling it, what's tasting it. There's no way in hell. It can't be perceived what's always so. <laughs> Why not just give up the ghost and fucking surrender to that? <laughs> and maybe you'll get relief from all the consequences of this little bit mistake of claiming that was something that you should have just like sort of knelt down in front of <laughs> instead of claimed. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, it would have probably been a much a much more appropriate response to kneel down <laughs> and just sense it than to claim it away. Yeah. So take anything as far as you can go. As far as what I call you and what I call me can go. Yeah? So maybe they hear that they hit the sound, and they hear they hear the sound of the heartbeat, yeah? But what's hearing the heartbeat isn't going towards the heartbeat from here, it's from back. Yeah? It's not you that's running around here going, okay, me. The subject of all subject is going to go as far as it can go back, and now I hear my heartbeat. Yeah? No. What you are is going this way, hearing the heartbeat, and this sense of you, right, comes after the hearing of the heartbeat. But there's a feeling you're prior to the heartbeat. You're the one that's sitting there hearing it. But in fact, that's not just, I don't believe that to be the case. Consciousness is hearing the heartbeat. The idea of you is way, way past the first point of contact. The contact is virgin and beautiful. Then there's the claiming of the mental process, and now the emphasis, the interest and attention is taken off the conscious contact and put on the story about it, you know? The one who's conscious and what they were conscious of. Then all the emphasis that could have rested in consciousness goes to things. It's like a disease. It's like an addiction of mind. And it has to keep up the, the addiction because that ever-present example of truth, of what's actually going on here, is prior to every one of its appearances. Every time you appear, it's an afterthought to what actually is happening. It's an amazing heist that something that happens later precedes everything else. <laughs> Can you imagine something that's happening later has actually put itself in a position prior to consciousness, prior to awareness, and there's a feeling that you're aware. Yeah? I'm the one who's aware. 
<laughs> Look, it's so obviously not so. <laughs> the feeling of you is way, way, way down a conveyor belt. Just because once you drop off and you feel really like you, it's like that's the end of the line of the conveyor belt. When you hit the ground, you believe you're prior to the conveyor belt. You don't believe you're produced, do you? You believe your inherent solid sense of Paul that has been produced by the claiming of conscious contact. Slapping on a seer with every moment of seeing. Slapping on a hearer with every moment of hearing. Slapping on a smeller with every moment of smelling. But the smelling, the hearing, the seeing comes first. The thought that it's you comes later. If you want to look at it that way, what's more you? What precedes the appearance of you? Or the appearance of you? Which one is more you? What precedes the appearance of you? Or the you that's being perceived? Then what's that which is perceiving you? Could you be separate from that? The only way you could take to be separate from that is to be a thing. And obviously you're not a thing. Even when you were born, you weren't a thing. It was obvious. Something was moving through a thing. Yeah. <laughs> the brain hadn't developed enough, but it was awareness, wake as all can see. So if the system, if, if it's true, or if you follow the truth to these statements, that you and I give everything all the meaning it has, yes? then that you, let's say there's two aspects, the you and the I. Yeah? Let's say the I is awareness or spirit. Yeah? If the I is giving everything all the meaning it has, yeah? it's going to be a much different experience being here than if it's the you. First of all, it wouldn't be the you, it would be the me. The, if the me is giving everything all the meaning it has, you've been through it already. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of times. You can do an inventory on fear for three years and you just fill in the blank. I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of some different topics, yeah? But it's the same basic view. Anxious, yeah? You're not going to get what you want and you're going to lose what you have. Anxiety is the baseline. Yeah? How is something agitated ever going to find peace? And self can't get out of self. So that's the double fuck. Yeah? You have this huge drive to get out of self. I need some freaking relief from self. Yeah? But maybe you don't sense that it's self trying to get out of self. That's why it hasn't been successful. Because you can't escape from an imaginary place. You can have the greatest map of all time. You're still not getting out of there because you're not in there. <laughs> Without an escape, there ain't no prison to escape from. And then, conversely, you'll stop trying to get into the moment because you realize you can't be out of the moment. <laughs> that the moment is actually you. You're not in a moment, yeah, but you're actually the moment. 
So the idea of getting into the moment is insane if you can't be out of it. Yeah? And the idea of getting out of self is totally insane if you can't be in it. So if you really feel like you're in self, it's because you've been busy trying to get out of it. And if you really feel like you can be out of the moment, it's because you've been busy trying to get in it. If you put it down, it's unlike this room. What would happen if this room just dropped, let's say, 20 feet to a level of relaxation that you weren't aware of? First of all, you probably wouldn't notice it immediately, or your conscious head, you know, the conditional mind, because nothing would have changed. Yeah? The same chairs, this and that. But there would be a big drop. Now, after this happened a few times with me, after months, I realized that I had just dropped a whole level to a level of new relaxation that could not have been produced by 50 time massages, yeah? It's just dropped, yeah? And then it just dropped again, and dropped again, yeah? It was sort of like, instead of leaving your head to your heart, you were leaving your head way bye-bye from the body, yeah? And what occurred was, that relief produced an incredible relief as traveling you, yeah? And the relief wasn't because you added 400 miles to your journey away. You stopped. That was the relief. You stopped trying to escape from an imaginary place. It's the true transcendence. The true transcendence of here is to totally be here. Because you can't be anywhere else. And then you transcend the mental here that's pasted over this here. That's what you're trying to get out of, is the mental here. It's very difficult to get out of something that's not happening. It doesn't exist, really. Next week does not exist. If I go to my hometown, the most heinous act I ever did, let's say, was at Burtis Avenue and Maple Street. If I go there, I ain't going to see it. It's all bye-bye. It didn't leave any impression on the space. It's not a tattoo lording over me like a terrible weather front. Yes, you did a terrible thing here. Everything is absolved. You are playing God. Yeah. You can't, if you try to stop playing God, that's playing God. And so if you try to stop, stop playing God, that's also playing God. You can't escape. Self can't get out of self. Why is that true? Because it's nothing real. That's why you can't escape from it. Why do you think self can't get out of self? <coughs> if there was something, a real self, and then you were a little bit different that, you would easily be able to get out of it, yeah? If you found the right techniques, you could leave self. But you can't leave an imaginary place. You're leaving it makes it real. It's like you're trying to escape Pleasantville makes Pleasantville seem real. Yeah? If you just say it. I don't know. When this dawned on me, what it provoked was a very deep level of relaxation. <coughs> you know, in recovery, we say, drop the rock, or you put the ball down, and you stop running, and yeah, something picks it up. Life goes on, but you just travel a lot lighter. Because ultimately, there's nothing any better than here. Why? Because you're here. You're all there is. 
You know, you are what you've been looking for your whole life, in a sense. But not as a you. And if you are waiting to get it, you're going to be waiting a long fucking time. Because you're never going to get it. The hope, if you got it, that would be truly not getting it. <laughs> that would be the, the most ultimate not getting it. Yeah? It's like you're freed from the need to be, to be liberated because there's nothing that needs to be liberated. Yeah? It's totally okay to be exactly like you are. And if you're killing people, maybe it isn't on a certain level because you're going to get arrested and thrown into jail unless that's where you want to go. But if you have a certain way of life, you're totally fine just the way it is. Go eat your crinkles or whatever. It's not a monumental, it's not an earth-shattering event. You're not that important. see how it gives meaning to actions when you think everything you do has so much importance what's giving that the meaning it has the selfing what will let everyone else off a hook but you don't get let off the same hook because you should be special you should be different, you know more what's that? You wouldn't treat like one of your enemies as bad as you treat yourself. Really, have you ever seen people when they're by themselves, two loved ones, they may be going crazy, but if a stranger walks by, they both shut up. As soon as the stranger leaves, they're fucking at their throats again, you know what I mean? Because in our world sometimes, someone loving us is our permission to dump everything we fucking want on them. Yeah? Because we know that's the only place we can get away with it. The mind, in Course in Miracles, they would talk about the mind living in this guilt of all guilts, which is the feeling that you did something to separate from God. This is the ultimate of self-centeredness, that you are so powerful that you can separate from God. Of course, it's an impossibility, but you and I are believing it, and we're dreaming this dream to convince ourselves. And in a sense... This inherent guilt is the main imperative to try to get rid of it. Yeah? But by trying to get out of it, what do we produce? More of it. Yeah? We give energy to what we're trying to escape from. And we're in this incredible loop that we can't get out. Because the logic of the place is, if you're in, get out. But it's the opposite. Yeah? You're not in, and getting out is how you feel you're in. Yeah? I always used to love that about the Course with that. Because I remember when I was young, a profound event when I was, my family, my mother and took me took me aside when I was six and said, Dad got, is getting really ill, you know? And he's not going to be able to play with you as much as he used to anymore. And she explained it exquisitely. And then they brought the family doctor, Dr. Jim Quinto, to explain it to me. And after hearing all that, and I could agree with everything they said, in my gut, I felt I must have done something wrong to make my father not to want to play with me. It didn't matter how much information I got contrary to it, in the little conditioning, near the little iron ball of contraction, that I was the center of the universe. I was playing God. And therefore, I must have done something to cause this to happen. Can you imagine... 
if there's a belief in your head that everything could be perfect, that all there is is love, and then every day you see the evidence to the contrary during your day, who the hell is going to get blamed ultimately? You. Yeah? That's like the inherent guilt we're trying to get out of every fucking second of the day by dumping it on people, by doing this, by doing, by trying to escape, yeah? The whole point is, it, the true atonement is nothing ever happened. This feeling of separation isn't true. It's a dream. There's no need for forgiveness. The true forgiveness is prior to forgiveness that nothing or no one has ever done anything here. Yeah? That ultimately, we have never left what we've always been. That's the true radical freedom. And what is it free from? Freed from any guilt, which is like the fucking furnace or nuclear reactor to to, uh, self-centeredness. Guilt fuels all of it. Guilt fuels the whole system. Yeah? Because obviously, if this is the way it is, you must have had something to do with it because you are the doer. You are the subject. You are the haver. You are the seer. You are the feeler. Therefore, if there was a heaven, but it sure seems like hell, you play a big role in it being hell. Are you doing, how can you live with that? Look. You can see exactly how we can live with it. So deep down, you may not believe you're, you're, uh, that you can feel love, so you're shut down. Your intimacy is the thing that scares you the most. Yeah? That's what people said when I used to t- do my shares. They said, wow, it looked like you really lived on the edge. You were overdosing and you shot it. I said, you know what living on the edge really is? Sitting there and being unconditionally loved for five minutes. Try that one out when you have this guilt. <laughs> because that's like the total different evidence that your mind does not want to see. <laughs> because it's totally disputing its case, yeah? When you're loved unconditionally, that parasite starts squealing. You've actually caught it in the light. It's out of its little lair. And <laughs> <laughs> your, your head just I can't take it anymore <laughs> you can be overdosing you get oh I can hear that love I can't stop it <laughs> check it out and know what it really really infuriates the mind when you really want something that you truly don't want you don't want unconditional love. <laughs> That's the last thing the conditional mind wants. <laughs> so yes, if I'm not that center, you'll find out what happens. And you'll know the tree by the fruit. You'll know the quote-unquote problem by the solution. That is where it gets truly verified. It's never verified in the problem because there isn't one million. It's verified from the solution. That's when you really learn about the problem. Yeah? When you get freedom from the problem, you'll know it by its absence. You'll really get how lonely you were. You'll really get how isolated you were. You'll really get how terminally unique you felt yourself to be. You'll really get 
that sense of that contracted ball called that first guilt. Yeah? You'll really get it. But while you're in it, you never get it. So maybe try to emphasize. Maybe you're not, maybe it's not the way it seems, you know. Maybe that drive to get out is really how it appears to be in. And not try to change it, just see it, see it. Just the seeing of it will break a lot, a lot new information. You'll, downloads will occur, and you'll find out. And then you'll have something that, that's true that your attention can rest on. And then the attention will keep verifying the truth of that. You know, for me, it was the last answer. I haven't found a new one since. Nor am I looking. So it must have been the last answer so far. Yeah? There's some level, somewhere, you're going to have to be the authority. You can keep trying to get authority figures to, you know, to proclaim that you got it, but you're going to be the only one who's actually going to know it by finding out, yeah. Yes, uh, that's it. And here we produce this feeling, you know, I love it, this space when we get together. It's very nourishing. Like, let's say if something was yelling at you 900 times a day, something, it would be easy to fall into believing it, yeah? You need to have a couple things to sort of combat that onslaught of advertising (laughs) that's going on. And maybe a few, like, uh, oases that you can stop at. Sense that pause. And when you have the sense of that pause you'll be able to entertain it from then on. Just like when I, um, I never, uh, terrible things happened to me in life, but none of them translated into a surrender. I had no idea what, I had a lot of ideas what I thought surrender was. But one time I actually got a surrender through grace, and now I know what it is. And now my mind can entertain it, because it's been, it's been revealed to it, yeah? But that revelation came from grace, and it was a regular day at the office, getting loaded. It was the last day I got loaded. Something happened, my mind stopped, and in that pause, something that was always available at all times had a major play in my whole life. It just changed my whole life here. About five minutes of it. And then as I started getting to get relief from the problem, I realized that's what it is. That's surrender. Ah, and I've been entertaining it ever since. So it can get to a point where you're in a surrendered state. It's not an experience or an event anymore. You sort of live from what was revealed, yeah? You live in a surrendered state. Certain certain topics are dead. They're over, yeah? It's, any life run on self-will can hardly be a success is not to be investigated anymore. It's the, the case files are closed. There's already... The, the, uh, the, the verdict has come down. 
you know, what has defeated us, the verdict has come down. It's not going to be reviewed. <laughs> it's over. Move fucking on. Yeah? The platform gets bigger and bigger. I have not, I cannot believe I'm even having a total change of body after 50 something years of being in a certain condition chronically this way or that and now my body is healthier than it's ever been and it's difficult for my conditional mind to wrap itself around it it's taking it to be a threat it's like fucking just, I do fine when I'm infected with sinus disease but when my head's clear let's see my head out I swear to God, I just can't believe. What's this? <laughs> it totally goes against its whole fucking story. <laughs> it's like the last bastion. The identification with the body has been has has been invaded by the light. <laughs> I, I, can, I never knew it was going to go there. Never. I had fucking no idea. Yeah, I had no idea that one of the fruits would be a physical resurrection. Fucking unbelievable to me. Blows my mind. Yeah. So if there is a higher power, why not let it know itself? Let why don't you let a higher power this you know have its own understanding of itself? It's going to extend. And you're going to be the receiver of it, yeah? Because it's going to use this this possibility to manifest it. So, if you allow it to have its own understanding instead of putting yours on it, you may be incredibly surprised what it's going to do. Yeah? That kind of uh, surprise just evokes gratitude, a huge amount of gratitude. You know, where... It's not an experience anymore. My attitude is infused with it. I am just freaking humbled. Unbelievably. You know. By the transformation that can happen here. As a little demonstration of what's available. And from things occurring, this is how it shares through me. It tells, it expresses a view of what's what it's not, yeah. Because I found that to be the best way it works is when I can see what I'm not. Because I can see what I'm not because it's not me. There's just seeing. There's no seer. Yeah. That's the mystery. The best you can know this as is a mystery. And just drop the fucking you know investigation and just. Sort of appreciate it, honor it, see what happens. Yeah, any questions?